A song like that and a passage like we have today needs no introduction, needs no opening, so let's just get right to it. Revelation 19, starting with verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diatoms, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Wow. The event the world has been waiting for for over 2,000 years. Millions have looked forward to it. Millions more have doubted it. And many have denied it will ever happen. It's the eschaton, the parousia, the second coming, the culmination of history as we know it. The return of Jesus Christ. And what an entrance. Then I saw heaven, heaven open, and behold, a white horse. White speaks of purity, holiness, and righteousness. And that's upon which Jesus sits. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Faithful and true. We've heard Jesus called that before. It speaks to that which he has said and that which he's taught as being truth. And that he will be faithful to his teaching. He will demonstrate that truth and that faithfulness by bringing judgment on the wicked and evil. By destroying them and all who have followed their ways. He will judge all who have sinned and rejected his offer of grace and mercy. All who have chosen the path of Babylon, the world Versus his path of righteousness. In doing so, he'll show all that what is taught in the Bible to be true, and it will be proof that the, it will be the proof that so many have demanded. But for them, the doubters, the deniers, it'll be too late. As Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians 1 8 through 10, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. Wow. Wow. Few passages in all the Bible speak of power as powerfully about Jesus' return and the judgment, the day of judgment that is coming. That day for many is a day of rejoicing. It's a great day, a day they look forward to. But for millions, it'll be a day of terror. You see, the fully glorified 
Jesus, Christ in all his glory, brings both joy and triumph to some and fear and destruction to many. And in the process, he will vindicate his his name and those of his followers. The name Jesus will never be used again out of its proper context. Verse 12, his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many diatoms. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Do you, do you get that picture? His eyes are fire. He has many crowns on his head. Yeah. Often when we think of Jesus, we think of this passive, loving, broken person. But we have to hold that in contrast to this vision of power and might and authority. Eyes of fire. We heard that back in chapter 2 in the letter to Thyatira, the fourth letter of the seven letters to the churches. And in that letter, he talks about judging the church. And, And we... We go, wait a minute, the church doesn't get judged. We're the good ones. Well, well, not all the church is the same. Sometimes we think if we come to church, we can almost hide from God. Well, I'm in church, he won't notice what truly what my heart is at. As long as I'm in amongst all these, these good followers of Christ, I'll be okay. He'll, he'll miss me. Coming to church doesn't save us, doesn't make us right with God. We come to church because we do it out of obedience because we're called to come as a body and worship. But merely coming on a Sunday morning does not make us right with God. That's a mistake I made for years. I thought as long as I showed up on Sunday morning, throwing maybe a midweek thing once in a while, That is good. I mean, what else do Christians do? But then, I hadn't actually studied much of God's Word at that time. You see, when he studies his Word, you start to see there's a lot more to it than an hour here and an hour there. In fact, there's a a lot more to it than what a lot of us will admit. See, he's going he's gonna to look at each individual and he's going to see where their heart is. Whether their heart's focused on Jesus Christ and following him or his heart's focused on the world, Babylon, and following the ways of that. There's no place to hide. This passage speaks as much of a dichotomy as there is in all the Bible. It's one way or the other. Diatoms. What's the big deal? He's got crowns. He's got many crowns. You know, the the beast has got crowns. In fact, the, the beast has ten crowns and the dragon has seven crowns. And so what's the big deal? Well, Jesus' crowns are not finite. Both their crowns speak to a limited, limited both in power and time of reigning. 
See, the world wants us to, to, to believe that it'll be there forever. Satan, his forces, want us to believe that that is the power of this world. But Jesus Christ's crown is eternal. It never ends and is unlimited in its power. And when he comes back, he will have his many crowns on his head. And he has a name that no one knows but himself. You go, wait a minute. In this passage alone, we've got many names. I mean, we also, you know, we got, we got Christ, we've got Savior, we got Redeemer, we got Son of God, Faithful and True, Word of God, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. With all those names, you telling me he's got a name we don't know? Yes. Though we know a lot about Christ, though the Bible reveals much to us and we understand much from his different names, because a name reveals who that person is, there is still much about Christ we don't know. Much to look forward to when that day comes. But what we do know, we must acknowledge. This passage reveals who Jesus Christ will be as he comes back. We can't say, oh, I didn't know. I thought it was going to be all different. Somebody came to me and said, well, that was some direct preaching. I go, that, that isn't direct preaching. That's just a direct passage from the Word of God. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. We'd like that to be his blood on that robe. We're all good with Jesus spilling his own blood, right? Going to the cross for us. You know, that's an image we just go, wow, I feel bad. He had to go to the cross for me, but I'm going to go. He's not spilling his own blood here. That blood on his robe is the blood of those being judged and destroyed. See, Remember back in Acts 1-9, the ascension of Christ, you know, he's standing talking to his disciples and then, and then he floats and whenever they do a depiction of that, he's kind of standing there like this and he just kind of becomes anti-gravity and he just floats up into heaven. And the angels say what to the disciples? He'll return in the same way, meaning from heaven. So we think Christ is going to come back as this floating, kind of, hi, I'm back. How you been? been thousands of years is everything good no he's coming back as a vengeful king and we go wait a minute wait a minute we don't like that word i'm sorry it's not mine he's coming back in the full power and authority of god the full Godhead. And he's coming back in the power and might to strike and destroy those who have been enemies of God. You see, we don't have a tame, passive Jesus. We may create that in our heads. We may want him to be that way. 
But as if you've ever read Narnia, he's not a tame lion. He's the most powerful being that exists in all creation. And if there were any doubts about that on this day, they'll all be answered. The name by which he is called is the Word of God. John loves the word, word. Greek is logos. In his gospel, he talks about him being the Word of God, the the revealer of God. You know, words communicate, reveal. He's the revealer of God. He shows who God is. Here we have that same, but we add to it the full authority of God. He is the Word of God. He is the final Statement of what God's going to do in creation as he comes to judge. He doesn't come to make everything wonderful. For er- he comes to judge. Sheep and goats, wheats and tares, the whole thing will happen on that day. Because he is the word of God. But he doesn't come alone. And the armies of heaven Rayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Can, can you visualize that? I mean, it, here comes Jesus on a, on a horse, fire in his eyes, in power and might, and millions of his followers. His entire kingdom on white horses following him to come to battle. Wow. I, I, I went online and tried to look for some pictures. I'm trying to capture this image. They have these amazing pictures, but none of them come close to obviously this, this image that's being revealed to John by the Holy Spirit of what it's going to be like when Jesus Christ comes back. It's amazing. It's unlike anything we've ever seen, thought of. It is the pure essence of power and might and authority. Think of the most powerful army you could ever imagine in your, in your mind and, and quadzillion duple it, whatever that is, when you think about this army that Christ is coming back with. Now, he doesn't need this army. He isn't like, oh, I can't do this by myself. I got to get all my followers. No, no. He brings them along so they can be a part of his final judgment. It's a place of honor. Hmm. Fifteen, from his his mouth comes a sharp sword from which no two strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. This this fulfills a whole bunch of prophecies, most of them found in in Isaiah, that talk about his his words, his pronouncements of judgment, cutting deep all those who are not in him. His judgment will strike heavy like a rod of iron, and the wrath of God is like a winepress crushing those being judged. It's a powerful imagery of 
of, of a king, a, a lord who's coming over his creation. 16, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That would be the place that, that a warrior would have his sword. It would be his, his tool of, of might and, and fighting. And here Jesus has his sword, his authority, that he is Lord of Lords, that he is King of Kings. That there's nothing more powerful. There's nothing that can challenge him. There is nothing that can stand before him on that day and not submit. You see, he's coming against the armies that have battled him all these many, many thousands of years, have fought against him and still think somehow that they can win. But their defeat is inevitable. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. The defeat will be total, complete, there will be no bodies to bury. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. It's amazing that the armies of Christ still assemble. They still think somehow that they can fight and defeat him. They still believe in the false lies that they've been selling to others and that they somehow believe themselves. They refuse to submit to Christ for all this time. They've refused his lordship and they demand to live life their way. But the defeat has already happened. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped its image, those who were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Remember how we talked about the beast and the prophet? Are the, are the demonic forces that oppose God? We're going to see next week the, the dragon, which is Satan. And they're all going in the lake of fire. They're all going to be defeated. And they're going to be eternally punished. But it's not just them. And the rest were slain by the sword that came down from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. It's a tough picture. All those that that have aligned themselves with the world, all those that have believed that they can live life the way they want and they'll make their own decisions and they'll do it their own way, but really they're just following the demonic forces that we've talked about for weeks that are Babylon. And on this day, 
This day where, where it's obvious who Jesus Christ is, on this day where he has millions and millions and millions of his followers with him, they still refuse to submit. Why? What is in it that makes us think that somehow we can make a decision apart from Jesus Christ that is a right decision? What is so alluring about the world that it make us risk our very eternal existence to follow it? This is as powerful a passage about the dichotomy between those that follow Christ and those that don't. Somebody in between services said, it's like being in a car and coming to a train tracks. There's never a 50-50 outcome. You're hit by that train, it's over. If you make it through, it's because probably the grace of God. When we look at a passage like this, why would we risk it? What in us makes us think that we might want to risk being kind of in the middle? Oh, I'm a follower of Christ. I show up on Sunday morning. But you know, I'm really not committed. I don't know much about the Bible. I really don't have a whole lot of time for Christ. But I, I'll acknowledge he exists. And so I'm sure by that and coming on Sunday morning, I'm all good. There is no middle ground. You're either a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not. There's no lukewarm. We already saw that back in the letter to Laodicea. There's no lukewarm Christian. There's no half-hearted. There's no treading. There's no plateaued. There's no maybe I'm in, maybe I'm not. There is the army of God, and there are those that it's coming to destroy. Any questions? I've been told many years, many times over the years, Tom, I come on a Sunday morning, I'm looking for something upbeat, something lifting, you know, make me feel good going into the week, make me feel good about myself, give me something to think about, give me this, that, it, it, okay, yeah, that'd be great. I live in fear of that day, so I don't do that. I don't want you to feel bad. I just look at a text like this and say, here's a clear indication of what's going to happen. A clear indication of who Jesus Christ is. A clear indication of what happens when he comes to judge the world. I don't know about you, but I want to take riding lessons. I want to be on that white horse. I want to be in that army. Because I don't want to be the one being attacked by that army. Yeah. When we look at a passage like that, it is either the most amazing, most powerful, greatest thing that we look forward to, or we look at it and we're in fear and dread. But we each need to ask ourselves, where am I? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we acknowledge that we can never say that we didn't know what was going to happen.
on the great day of your judgment. We acknowledge that you've clearly given us throughout your Bible a view of what is expected of us, what offer of grace and mercy there is extended to us through Jesus Christ. We acknowledge that evil has been defeated at the cross and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And that if we will submit to His Lordship, if we will turn from the world and turn to Him, that we can be part of that army. I long for that day when you turn and say, saddle up, we're going to battle. That we're in our white robes, on our white horses, riding with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's in his name, the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. The ushers will gather the